Please remain standing as you are <laughs> for the reading, continued reading of God's Word. And we turn to Luke chapter 5, Luke 5. And we begin reading at verse 27. This is the word of the Lord. After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. God's holy word may write upon our hearts. You may be seated. Well, let me say it's a joy to be with you all today. Uh, wonderful to see the new facility the Lord's brought you into here. Great blessing. And uh, you know this, that uh, those throughout the Presbytery of the Midwest pray for you all the time. And are very excited to hear about what God is doing in your midst as he uh, adds to your number and uh, sanctifies, he gives growth and many encouragements. So thankful for Paul and his ministry here and uh, pray for him every day. So that means I pray for you every day, really. But it's great to be here. Uh, praise the Lord. Well, we come to the word here and uh, we just read from, from the Gospel of Luke and we see uh, the wonderful account of the call of Matthew or Levi, and I'll use those names. Same man, but I'll probably end up using those names interchangeably through the sermon here. Matthew, Levi, Matthew, the tax collector. And of course, my sermon title is Sinners Jesus Came to Call. Uh, subtitle actually is Salvation from My Commerce in Sin. Salvation from My Commerce in Sin. In sin. Tim Keller, most of you probably know who that is, but Tim Keller, not with the Lord, but he said time and again, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. It's here in Luke 5, brothers and sisters, the account, we see the account of the sinful and fatally flawed tax collector Matthew having heard Jesus, in Jesus, a message of grace whereby he could be forgiven and accepted into the favor of God. Being more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, than he could ever have dared to hope. Now in Matthew's own gospel, we're in Luke here, but in Matthew's own gospel, as in Luke's gospel here, the account of forgiveness and healing of the paralytic, if you look in your text there just before this, the account of the healing of the paralytic and the forgiveness of the paralytic 
immediately precedes the call of Matthew. So we're to understand that uh, the message conveyed in that encounter with the paralytic and Jesus forgiving the paralytic, the message conveyed in that encounter, the message of grace and forgiveness, figured very prominently in Matthew's conversion, the climax of which is described here. What was the message that our Lord had conveyed in that encounter with the paralytic? What was that message? The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, as Christians, we know that, don't we? Jesus Christ has authority on earth to forgive sins. We heard forgiveness, the assurance of pardon earlier, didn't we? It's beautiful, wonderful, all of our sins forgiven. What did the Lord say to the paralytic? Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus had granted forgiveness full and free to the paralytic, and he had all authority to do so. And that had offended the scribes and Pharisees, you remember. They reasoned, right, well, only God can forgive sins, and surely God would only do so. Surely God would only forgive sins if one first proves himself by sincere and rigorous repentance and a regimen of good works. That's how the Pharisees thought. And in the eyes of most of the Jewish community, they were the ones doing it, right? You've got to have this rigorous record of righteousness if you could hope to be forgiven. What had the paralytic ever done? What works could he possibly bring? Well, if anything, I mean, they reason. Certainly, he's under the curse of God, that man. And so the Pharisees were deeply offended. And if such rigorous repentance and record of good works were the requirement for one even to begin to hope that God would forgive, how could a man such as Matthew, Levi, how could he ever hope to have a righteous standing and forgiveness with God? Matthew, tax collector. Tax collector for Caesar. Extortioner. Scoundrel. He was. All of those. Traitor to the nation. That's how they viewed the tax collectors. Traitor to the Jewish. Traitor to the covenant people. How could he ever be forgiven? But Matthew had heard a message of free grace in Christ. Christ called sinners to himself and he forgave them apart from their works of righteousness. Christ pardoned all sin and sent the forgiven one on his way rejoicing. Christ gave life and forgiveness, and he sent that pardoned former paralytic home, a whole man. Beautiful. Now, no doubt, Matthew, tax collector, no doubt he reasoned and hoped as he reasoned, I'm like the paralytic. Paralyzed by my whole life of sin. Paralyzed by my commerce in sin. 
My whole livelihood, my whole life has been a life immersed in sin. And of course, that's where everybody is outside of Christ. A whole life truly immersed in sin. It takes different shapes, of course, but it's a whole life immersed in sin, a commerce in sin. All of us need to reflect on that. What has been my commerce in sin that Jesus saved me from? Hmm? What was my business in sin. So Matthew reasoned, I'm the sinner beyond hope. I'm the sinner loaded down with sin, surrounded, surrounded by the, the accoutrements of my sin from which I can't extricate myself. Could the same eyes of grace look on me that looked on the paralytic? Could the same lips of grace speak peace to me, as spoke peace to the paralytic. So we witness here our Lord Jesus Christ calling Matthew, Levi, Levi the sinner, Levi the tax collector, calling Levi out of darkness into light. That's what we see here. It's beautiful. We get to see it here, don't we? It's beautiful. It's a miracle. Every new birth, of course, is a miracle. It's a miracle. We see this in four parts. First of all, the call of grace. Secondly, the celebration of grace. Thirdly, a complaint against grace. And lastly, our Lord's commendation of grace. I don't usually don't use alliteration, but I did there. You got the four C's, right? <laughs> First of all, the call of grace. And we see here Jesus, of course, takes the initiative, which he always does in salvation. That's the way it has to be, right? He takes the initiative. After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. So Jesus sees Levi. He sees Levi and all that he is. He sees Levi sitting at the tax office sitting amidst the baggage of his life and of his sin, and it is not a pretty picture. This is how he sees all of us. He looks upon us before we came to him, right? Not a pretty picture. <laughs> he sees us in our commerce of sin. He sees us amidst the accoutrements of our sin. And he comes to us, and in his grace... He initiates. Isn't that beautiful? Aren't you thankful for this? Hmm? I need to see myself as Jesus first saw me. If I really see myself as Jesus first saw me, I never forget it. I'm comforted by grace, but I never forget it. It shapes me. Now Jesus calls Levi. He says, follow me. And there's much more here than meets the eye. I think Christ speaks and the word of grace and power, the word of acceptance and assurance comes all at once. Follow me. Wait, doesn't Levi have to renovate his life first? Doesn't he have to establish some record of good works? No. Praise God. Amen. This is the gospel, right? As the hymn writer put it, and we sang it a few minutes ago, let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. 
This He gives you. This He gives you. It's grace, isn't it? This He gives you. It's a Spirit's rising beam. That's what it is. Don't you love to think of the gospel preached? And when the gospel is preached, Jesus Christ Himself speaks and He quickens people to life. Old people, young people, you know, all kinds of people. That's what you want to see as a church, isn't it? You want your church, and already it's this way in large fashion, right? You want your church. You, you don't want it to be. Too many churches are like a funeral home, right? You want it to be like a delivery room, right? New birth taking place all over the place. That's what you want. That's what you pray for. And we trust God will answer that. Well, Matthew could only come to Christ empty-handed. He'd been corrupted by his commerce in sin. He, could, he didn't have anything to bring to the table. This is grace. He only needed to look to Christ. So we witness here, yes, the work of grace in Levi's heart. Scripture says, in leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Wow! Leaving everything, he rose and followed him. We see here the response of repentance and faith. That's what we witness here. It's a response of repentance and faith. A work of grace taking place in Levi's heart. Immediately he leaves behind the baggage and accoutrements of his sin. Here's really the climax of his conversion. He left everything, the scripture says. That's repentance. Life as I knew it, right? He left everything. He left his old life as he had lived it, life as he had known it. He rose and followed him. There's faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know there's repentance here? How do we know that? Because Jesus says as much to the Pharisees about the whole event, right? He sort of writes the title over it, right? I've come to call sinners to repentance. That's what happened. That's what's happening here. How do we know there's true faith here? Because, yes, Jesus, or Levi rather, leaves everything. Matthew leaves everything and he follows Jesus. And, also we know it for this reason, he throws a big party for Jesus. A great feast, as the scripture says here. So party, wow. Christian's supposed to do this. Party. Levi made him a great feast in his house. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. Oh, this is uh, Paul. I was thinking this is a sort of an outreach idea, you know, where you just you just throw a big party, uh, call it a gospel party, right? Have a, invite your friends, right? And just one person give their testimony. Yeah, do that. Yeah, I, think I, I just stopped thinking of that the other day. Levi throws a great party. It's a party. It's a party in Jesus' honor. Jesus is the guest of honor. It's a party, and who's on the who's on the invite list, right? <laughs> All the sinners of Levi's circle are invited. <laughs> it's a great party, a great gathering. So we see Levi, Matthew, he revels in the grace that he's been shown. He's a new man. Christ has spoken forgiveness and peace to his heart. The Son of Man who has authority, yes, he has authority on earth to forgive sins, has forgiven everything. Isn't that amazing? All of our sins forgiven? I mean, we talk about it every week, right? Which we should, we need to. But isn't that amazing? I mean, we're Presbyterians, I understand this. We're Presbyterians, but, you know, we should go skipping out of this place, you know, every Lord's Day, right? <laughs> wow, isn't this wonderful? 
All of my sins, if I could just get this, we often say that, right? If I could just get this truly, that all of my sins are forgiven, yeah, it shapes your whole life then. And maybe there's someone particularly here today who needs to hear that just again. You've heard it before, but you need to hear it again. If you're trusting in Christ, all of your sins are cleansed away. That's it. Praise God. Praise God for this. So Levi, he throws a party. Great feast. Hmm? Oh, I mean, would that be the proper thing to do? Throw a party in such circumstances? Would that be the spiritual thing to do? Throw a party for Jesus? Well, well, well yes, of course. And would Jesus actually come? <laughs> would he attend the party? Would he? Yes, he would, and he does. So here he is at the party in his honor. We see sinners drawn to Christ. We see sinners drawn to a message of grace. What a guest list we have here. I mean, who are Levi's friends? They're tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors, we've alluded to it already. They're at the bottom of the barrel, socially, right, as people viewed them. They're the bottom of the barrel. I mean, actually, they're not any bigger... Actually, they're not any bigger sinners than anybody else. They just show it in a particular way, right? Uh, Mark's Gospel says, Many tax gatherers and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. So Jesus has this following, following of people, and they love the message of grace, so they're following him around, because they're hearing, they're hearing him preach some, something that they've not heard. Pharisees weren't preaching this message. Pharisees are saying, you got to do it, man. you got to prove yourself. you got to maintain. you got to accumulate a record of righteousness. That's what the Pharisees say. So get at it. And, and in terms of what the people could say, I mean, the Pharisees were the ones doing it, right? Well, they, they were the really spiritual guys, right? Huh. So you got the tax collectors and you got sinners. They're called sinners here. Now, these were the, these were the Jews who weren't good Jews. Sinners. They weren't even working at repentance. They're the non-practicing Jews. They, they, they'd given up on any attempt to make themselves fit or righteous. So you have that sort of person you know, in the Jewish nation. They're Jews. That's their heritage, right? Um, but, but they said, you know, and they're, they're, they're almost concluded, they're concluding almost the right thing, right? This, this righteousness, this performing of righteousness, it can't be done. Right? It's like the uh, prodigal son. I can't, I, can't, I can't do this. I'm out of here. That's what the prodigal son said. This can't be done. And the elder brother, he stays at home, right? I mean, he's, he doesn't like it in father's house either. <laughs> Tax collectors, sinners, now they're drawn to Christ. They're drawn by his message of grace. It's a great, happy party. You can imagine it, can't you? Kind of raucous, loud, you know. A uh, lot, lot of rejoicing going on. Matthew's rejoicing. Jesus is there. He's smiling. Mm, it's beautiful. Oh, but not everybody at the party is happy. Certain ones are not having a good time. Well, why so down at the mouth? Certain ones are not enjoying the celebration of grace. And they're certainly not enjoying the guest of honor. 
See, there are those who, who love the message of grace and there are those who are offended by it. There are those who don't tolerate it. If you try to live according to your good works, you don't enjoy the message of grace. You don't have a place for it. So we see it here. So there's this complaint that comes, you know. You got, you got a great party going on, but then you got this complaint that comes at the same time. Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What on earth are you doing? Hmm? <laughs> How can you do this? So yeah, they, they survey the guests, you know, the guests, or the, those assembled at the party, right? And they're offended. It's a gathering of sinners. It's so obvious. It's so obvious it's a gathering of sinners. How could this teacher tolerate being around them? How, how could he mingle with people like this? Didn't he teach? Wasn't he teaching them that to, that to be right with God, one needs to entirely renovate their life first? A lot of people think this way. That's a natural way to think about religion. A lot of people in the church broadly think this way. I have to perform. I have to perform. And they're trying to perform. And if that's, where you're, if that's where a person's at, they're trying to perform, I can tell you, they're miserable. They've not tasted of grace. But this complaint is based upon a faulty view of themselves. They regard themselves to be righteous. They thought they were a whole. They thought they had some claim to God's favor. After all, like we said, they're the ones doing the work. They're the ones seeking to reform themselves. They're keeping themselves aloof from persons who are obvious sinners. That's what it means to be holy. That's how one gets right with God. That's how one, one earns God's favor. And that we said that's the natural mistake when it comes to religion. That's how men naturally think, fallen in Adam, right? That's the natural mistake. If I'm going to have a relationship with the deity, I, bet, I better get cooking here. You know? I, better, I better reform my life if I can hope to have a relationship with the deity. Problem is, it's an impossible project. It can't be done. But it's a natural way to think in terms of religion. So how does one achieve a standing of favor with God? How does one maintain a, stand, a standing of favor with God? And of course, the answer of the Pharisees was, you earn it. That's what you do. And Matthew is one who he'd given up on that project. <laughs> so he's, he's, in, he's actually, in a, I mean, he, until Christ saves him, he's in a very desperate place, right? But you can see, you can argue that he's, in a, he, he, he's in, in a good place. God's doing a work in his heart. He's in a good place because he's, he's brought to the point where he stops performing or trying to perform. Well, he gave up on performing anyway, but he, gave, he had given up all hope, right? So there are those who love the message of grace. There are those who are offended by it. And those who are offended by it are still trying to perform. Well, we see the commendation of grace from our Lord's lips here. And we see from what the Lord says that those who are self-righteous are blind concerning their true need. Jesus answered this complaint now. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So the, the, the Pharisees, they don't see that their condition is precisely the same as those that they despise. Hey, there's, their condition is exactly the same. They just don't see it. I mean, they're still in rebellion against God. They're just doing it religiously. They're still trying to establish their own righteousness, right? Which is a great offense to God. 
They think they're well. They think they're spiritually healthy. So they see no real need for Christ. Sin is the sickness of the soul, brothers and sisters. We know this. It's a terrible life-robbing disease. What's, again, you think of this with evangelism, right? What's, what's the greatest need a man has? What's the greatest need that a person has? It's, it's their sin, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not anything else. A person's biggest problem is not that, it's not that somebody else wronged them. I mean, a lot of wrong goes on in this world, but that's not their biggest problem. <laughs> a person's biggest problem is not that they don't have a job. That's not it. And we, we pray for them, God's mercy, that they might have a job, but that's not the biggest need. Sin is the sickness of the soul, we say, and it's a life-robbing disease. And sinners are sick unto death. The, the disease is terminal. And all are afflicted with that disease. And it has no cure except the grace of God in Christ. Hmm? Jesus says, those who are well don't need a doctor. Only those that are sick need a doctor. Meaning, of course, only those who know they're sick know that they need a doctor. I'm the doctor. This is what he's saying here, right? I'm the doctor. And I'm here with a whole mass of sick persons. Now that's kind of like the church too, isn't it? In a particular way. Of course, we've, we've come to know the physician, right? But here we are. I mean, we said earlier, you know, the church ought to be like a delivery room, right? It's, 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 it's often been said it's like a hospital too, right? It's a gathering of people who need, they need healing. <laughs> and I need it, not, I needed it not at the first point, but I need it at every point, don't I? I need Christ to continue to work in me. That's why we're here. We're a bunch of desperate people, actually. We say this all the time, you know. Let's just be honest. We're, we're a bunch of desperate people. Oh, it's, it's, by the grace of God, we just, it's been discovered to us that we're, how desperate we are. <laughs> so we're here. And I can't, by the way, I can't wait for the meal here, you know. <laughs> I was thinking about that last week, you know, the worst was like, give me that food. You know, I need this, you know. So God works in you. You know your true need. And he gives you what you need in his grace, doesn't he? It's a beautiful thing. Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Interestingly, in Matthew's, in Matthew's own gospel, this is included. Jesus says to them, Jesus says to them, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Quite a statement, actually. Go and learn what this means. What's he saying? There's an edge to that, I think, you know. Go back to school and figure out what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I can imagine this party, you know, great party. Jesus is the guest of honor. This is a little off script here. Jesus is the guest of, Jesus is the guest of honor, you know. You get this complaint coming, you know, and these are the guys who are throwing, you know, they're throwing water on the party. Wet blankets, you know. That's what they're doing. <clears throat> um, and what does Jesus say to them? Everything goes quiet. Jesus says to them, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He says to them, go back. You've got to go back to school. God says, I desire mercy. It's all about mercy. I think when Jesus said that, you know, all the, all the, all the people there go, yes, yes. You know, <laughs> yeah, right? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the plight of the Pharisees, they don't know they're sick. They don't know they're sick unto death. And yes, Jesus declares clearly here why he came. He came to call sinners to repentance. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? He came to call, to, to call sinners to repentance. That's why he came. And that's what we're doing here. That's what your pastor's doing as he preaches, Pastor Paul, as he preaches. And as you want to see the gospel go out broadly, this is why Jesus came. It's called sinners to repentance. That's why he came. And he gathers us in, and we throw a party. So Jesus declares clearly why he came. His call to Matthew to Levi was a call to repentance, and Matthew knew it. It was a call to reckon with sin, to turn from sin and and to God in faith. It was a call of grace, a call to faith, a call to follow. How could Matthew possibly follow? How could he presume to follow unless he believed in this one who alone could forgive sin? What we witness in this passage, we call it, we like to call it the efficacious call. That's what we witness here. That's what's going on. We need to learn to see ourselves, brothers and sisters, in these gospel pictures. And we learn across time to see ourselves here, don't we, in this way. We need to see ourselves. I'm the leper, right? I was the paralytic who lay morally helpless, powerless to perform anything. I was the tax collector, surrounded by, immersed in the accoutrements of my sin, my commerce in sin. Think about this morning, okay? All of us, we examine ourselves again, right? If you've not come to Christ yet, you gotta see that, right? What's your commerce in sin? What is it? Jesus sees you. He sees all of us just as we are. And he's, he takes initiative. He seeks us out. He quickens us to life. My only hope is Christ. The great physician, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who sees me, saw me in all of my sin and helplessness, and he's the only one who can heal me. then I'm able to see very much how like my neighbor I really am. See, this levels things, doesn't it? It affects how I see those outside of Christ. I'm just like them. I'm just like them. I've been shown grace. That's the only difference. In fact, it's interesting. There's a sense in which, you know, Christ works in me. He shows me my true sin and need. Um, Actually, if I'm understanding grace, I see myself as a bigger sinner than my, than my, than my unsaved neighbor sees himself as a sinner, right? That's the difference. <laughs> and I get more convinced of it all the time. You know, the way, the way up is down, right? It's, uh, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's the way, that's the Christian life, isn't it? Well, the gospel is a beautiful thing, isn't it? We love to say this. <laughs> the gospel is a beautiful thing. We see it in this call to Matthew. Matthew never forgot the life that he had been saved from. He never forgot. Now, he was joyful, but he never forgot. 
He had tasted grace wonderfully and deeply, and he relished it deeply. This also means that he never forgot what he was saved from. He never forgot who he was before Jesus called him. He never forgot the wormwood and the gall, as the hymn goes, right? Sinners whose love can ne'er forget the wormwood and the gall. Go spread your trophies at his feet and crown him Lord of all. Hmm? He never forgot the wormwood and gall, and neither, can, neither do we. Neither does one who really revels in grace. So think about this. Just from in Matthew's own gospel, we are in Luke here, but in Matthew's own gospel, when he lists the group of disciples, he makes two of them stand out in a particular way. He tags two of them in a particular way. Which ones? Himself and Judas. So for the other ten disciples, he simply lists their names. When he lists Judas, of course, he tags him in this way. Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. That's how he lists him. That's how he tags him. When he lists himself, he tags himself this way. Matthew, the tax collector. He never forgot the wormwood and the gall. Now, the Lord does a similar work in all of us, doesn't he, of grace. As we walk with him, he shows us, as we said it already, he shows us more and more the depth of our need. He saved us. We've trusted to him. We're tasting of his grace. But he shows us more and more the depth of our sin, doesn't he? And the wonderful, among them, the wonderful fruit of that is, uh, among other things, humility, right? He works humility in us. I will not boast in anything, the hymn goes, right? I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. He does this in all of us. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. The gospel is like just too good to be true. <laughs> That's why we have to hear it every week because it's, it's so hard. It's actually, in a way, it's hard for us to believe it's this good. Totally forgiven by the authoritative word of the risen and exalted Christ. And we praise him for us. Let's pray together. Father, write these things upon our hearts. We thank you that you're gracious to deepen us in grace. You see all of our flaws as people. You see all of our flaws. You see us just as we are, as ever. You see us in this way. Give to us all to rejoice in your grace more and more. If there be any here today that have not trusted in Christ, we pray you work that, that you, you bring that effectual call. Penetrate their heart. <laughs> Give to them to see that you see them just as they are, that they might trust in Christ alone. We pray in his name. Amen. <clears throat>